Episode 15 of the Pirates of the Airwaves podcast, where we chat to some of the people involved in the land-based pirate radio world of the 1970s and 1980s. My name's Mark Wakeley, and I'm one of the people behind the Land-Based Pirate Radio Facebook group. If you are one of those rebels and you want to tell the world about how you change the face of UK radio, or just spent a few weekends going up and down tower blocks in lifts that had a suspect aroma and questionable hygiene levels, or just want to give a comment about the pod, then get in touch. PiratePod7080 at gmail.com is the email address, or you can contact us via the Facebook group. For this first episode of 2023, the tables have been turned on your host by Laurie Hallett, and the subject of the podcast is me. I'd like to point out this was not my idea, it was Laurie's, who incidentally is the guest on the next episode. He came up with the idea when I went to interview him at his place of work just before Christmas. As usual, we talk about life in pirate radio and beyond, including how I got involved, why I blame the IRA for losing two transmitters, and my biggest regret in radio. So, let's get into it. So this is a weird one. Uh, Mark's going to be on the receiving end this time, rather than being the quiz master. So, uh, Mark Wakeley, welcome to this bizarre podcast where you're answering questions and not asking them. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> yes, it, it's strange, but uh, I'm a little bit apprehensive, to be honest. So Great. Well, I'm Laurie Hallett, and I'm turning the tables on Mark to ask him about his involvement in pirate radio. And I'm going to just nick all Mark's ideas here and say... Let's start by finding out, you know, what was your first involvement in pirate radio? Where did you first find out about it? Um, it when We lived in, in Leeds when I was a kid, so basically all we had was Radio 1 back in those days. But I was obsessed by radio from that point. I, I got a radio for my birthday when I was about nine, a little transistor, and I used to listen to the radio all the time. And, and my earliest memory of listening to the radio was listening to a thing called Late Night Extra on Radio 2. I think it was the only late night thing they did on the BBC at the time. And I used to love listening to the radio. And it was a, you know, under the sheets in, in bed type thing. Um, pirate radio, Radio Caroline, like a lot of people, it's my entry drug. Uh, about 1977-ish probably from the Mi Amigo. Um, and my brother said to me, I was talking about something to do with, with pirate radio. I'd heard something. And he said, oh, you know, Radio Caroline still exists and still broadcast. And um, he showed me where to find it. And I was hooked. That was it. You know, the thought of these guys sitting on that little ship out in the sea, uh, broadcasting in the middle of the night. There was something just a, a little bit magical about the whole thing. If I remember rightly, your brother was involved in radio as well, wasn't he? He used to do um, hospital radio. Uh, a Whips Cross. Whips, Whips Cro Cross Hospital Radio. Whips yeah. Cross Hospital yeah. Radio. And, uh, and I do remember making some jingles or something for him as well uh, at one time with little bits of music or little bits of records. So there we go. <laughs> so that was how you kind of discovered Pirate Radio. But what was your first uh, proper involvement on the naughty side of the step? Well, the, f the, the first proper involvement was 
hearing North London Radio and Radio Amy in my bedroom uh, one Sunday afternoon and thinking, what's this? And thinking, hey, surely they must have special licenses to broadcast on a Sunday. Um, and then a friend of mine, Simon, said to me, there's a guy down the road, you, you know, Lawrence, as you <laughs> were called at that time, Laurie now, and um, he knows a bit about these pirate radio stations. So we meandered down to your house and you explained the whole thing to me. No, they're pirate radio stations. They haven't got a license, but they broadcast from land. They're like Radio Caroline, but not like Radio Caroline. Uh, and then you said to me, uh, there's a guy up the road who is talking about starting his own station and the rest, as they say, is history. Then, then we, I think we all trooped up to Martins at that point. Yeah, because I think we told him that we were the Redbridge Free Broadcasting Units, uh, <laughs> which was a lovely name for something that didn't really exist. And I think, you know, uh, Simon was being very generous. I'm not sure I really knew anything at that stage. But that that kind of chimes with my memories of being half awake on a Sunday morning and being woken up by the two of you uh, ringing the front doorstep. But so that's how you kind of began to get involved. But what? how did that develop? Um, well, as you say, we, we all went to Martin's. I had a chat with him and he said, yeah, uh, I, I'm doing this thing. I, I do remember going up there and thinking, what does a transmitter look like? And I used to think it would be this thing that was like an upturned dinner plate, like a dome that radiated radio out of it. That was my my sort of thing. When I realised it wasn't, it was a, basically it was a pile of components on a workbench that glowed slightly. Uh, oh right that's a transmitter fair enough and it just developed from there and you know as you as you have pointed out in the past to me we spoke to Christopher England he gave us a crystal for 217 I think it was at the time or 215 215 215 that's right because they were on 217 weren't they but um and then it just sort of developed from there. And we used to do little broadcasts from Martin's place. And then it developed into moving to the forest near us. Um, and I've, I've put the exact site on the Facebook site, so I'm not scared to say. Right by Bancroft School, if anybody knows it, just off the old A11 um, in Woodford Green <laughs> was, was my main transmitter site. And I think uh, we used that quite a lot as well, didn't we? As- yes, I seem to remember a go-kart, which you used to pull along full of uh, old lead-acid batteries. Uh, yeah, got stopped by the police with that once. What's all this then, Sonny? Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I think he just thought we were a load of kids messing about. I think he's more worried about the fact that we've nicked the car batteries than we were doing anything else. And eventually I just put my hands up and said what it was, and he went, oh, get on with you. And that was that, really. That's the, I think that's the clearest I ever, nearest I ever came to actually being uh, nicked for doing pirate right. <laughs> <laughs> we had another site, didn't we, in Knightonwoods, uh, which was the other side of the A11. And that site was the one where we tried out one of the first transistor uh, transmitters, the one that burnt through its own circuit board to protect East London from the atrocious programming. Do you remember that one? Was that the one that was in a wooden box? I think so. Yeah, it was a it was a pie Cambridge box that Martin had done, but it then went inside another box. And uh... I think it, I think it was in our old clarinet box or something like that. <laughs> and it was it had like a vinyl wrap round it, and then it was he'd screwed it all into this wooden box. And as you say, I think there was a little bit of pyrotechnics involved, uh, ultimately <laughs> uh, unintentional. But yes, Nightingwoods was was one of the places. The other place was. Uh, further down the same bit of road down near Buckersfield Cricket Club, if I remember rightly. Yeah, there were lots of there were lots of good sites around there because the the the, 
it was kind of little bits of forest which people didn't, apart from the odd dog walker, nobody ever went in them. So that was was kind of nice. So that's how we started. And that was uh, Phoenix Radio after it was Radio Amy East. Is that right? Yeah, Radio Amy East uh, and, and a number of other small sort of what I call messing about stations um, in the context of uh, Radio Lucy, Radio Buccaneer, those sort of things. Um, so that was Radio Amy East. And then... Uh, we all started Phoenix Radio, did that for, I think that was about a year, 18 months, regularly, 214, uh, broadcasting again from the forest. I used to do programmes uh, as Steve Justin in those days. Um, and, and that was a, a lot of fun. It, it was really good, but I, I'm i not sure it was ever going to go anywhere. I, th- I think we were sort of finding our feet and learning on the job, I think they call it. Don't well, they? I mean, bearing in mind that we were what? Six, 15, 16, yeah. 17 years old. You know, there was a lot of learning still to do back then, I think. Yes. Well, well, I remember the the next project I did, which is, so uh, I decided to, to move away um, from your group, from the group that you were involved in. It's because you liked all that loud, shouty music, well, wasn't there was, it? There was, a, there was a bit of the loud, shouty music thing. Uh, also, I, I don't know. I think I'm a control freak, weirdly. Really. <laughs> um, but it, it, it was also... Um, I had a pathological fear of tower blocks. I just didn't want to do the tower block work. Um, and I know that's where it was going. I knew that's what Phoenix Radio was going to turn into, was an FM station. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure I really want to get involved in that. So I thought I'd carry on with the same thing. Um, and I got a group of friends around me and we decided to start our own thing. First broadcast was December 1980. Uh, we did a test transmission. And January 1981 was our first official Transmission as Radio Comsat on 217, uh, 1386. Yeah. God, the sound of the exploited and army life. Uh, one of the newer bands that are around nowadays. Oh, dear. <coughs> oh, dear. What a hassle. All this getting up early in the morning, Lark. It's going to be killing me by a few weeks' time, believe me. Anyway, uh, you're in tune with Radio Comsat, uh, a brand new station for East London, broadcasting on 217 metres, 1386 kilohertz. We hope to be here every single Sunday from now until eternity, hopefully, and all that. And uh, we'll be playing you uh, punk and new wave music for three hours on a Sunday morning and afternoon. And we hope to extend it to four hours. In the summer, golly gosh, aren't you lucky, you people? We'd be very pleased to hear from you if you've got any comments on the programmes or the station in general. So uh, please write to us. That's uh, Radio Comsat, PO Box 110, Orpington in Kent. Let's go on with the damned. And it was with a very small, I, I mean, I don't know. He told me it was a four watt transmitter. I'm not so sure it ever put out <laughs> much. It was a very, very small transistorized uh, medium wave transmitter. We eventually built up to to a bit more power but that's how we certainly how we started but um there was a guy who heard us in cambridge i think he used to hear all the radio stations at one time or another uh within those first two weeks but i knew nothing about aerial design you know those aerials must have lost a huge amount of power because i had no suspension away from the, the the tree branches the aerial just went over the tree branches and into the transmitter so i must have lost a huge amount of rf uh, into roots of trees <laughs> I seem to remember Simon we mentioned. I seem to remember we did one overnight broadcast on shortwave from Simon's house uh, in in uh, in Woodford, uh, and that one was uh, was I can't even. I, can't, I think it was a Radio Buccaneer shortwave. It broadcast. might have been something like that. And but we I set remember, the studio up in his bedroom. <laughs> yeah, and his mum being very uh, uh, suspicious of what was going on. 
and, uh, yes. and, uh, and us being completely exhausted, having spent ages setting it up. And I'm not sure that anyone ever listened to any of that. It was some idea about running an aerial with a counterpoise, some very low to the ground with an aerial above it and what have you. And I, I have a strong suspicion, just like your Comsat, that it didn't actually uh, radiate much at all. But actually, Comsat was how long did it run for? Because it was pretty successful, wasn't it? In we, terms we of we ran your... it, we ran it for oh gosh. I think up until um, up until Radio Shoestring, so that was probably three and a half years. Pretty much, well, I say every Sunday. It wasn't every Sunday. We missed a few here and there, but we ran it for a long time. Um, and and I couldn't drive at the time, so I was relying on other people to help us get around. And of course, the little go kart thing that we've already talked about. But I, I think three and a half years. I, I think it, it went through to about eighty four ish. And then Radio Shoestring. And Radio Shoestring was an, was an interesting one, wasn't it? Because that was at the time when uh, these uh, land-based stations were beginning to realise that actually they could stay on air a lot longer than had been thought beforehand. Definitely. I, I had a chat with a few people and uh, Danny, who was on Comsat, and I think was on Phoenix for a short while as well, uh, said to me, you know, there's this guy in Walthamstow, he, he's setting up a 24-hour station. And I know that um, Piers was involved and a couple of other people who we knew. Uh, and I went along there and said, yeah, if you want to do a show, that's great. And I did a late night show for them. Uh, I broadcast, I think, all together from three different studios at one time or another. Um, and it, it was a bit of a all over the place thing, to be honest. I'm not sure it ran very smoothly, but they had some absolutely brilliant presenters on there. And, and Greg Powers, who actually ran it, and uh, Mitch, of course, and... Um, um, Paul McKenna was involved in it and Gary King was involved in it. It was one of those things where people seem to disappear off to do proper radio afterwards. Um, but I do know that it, it, it sort of came from a, a radio top shop type thing or a, one of these shopping mall stations up at Wood Green, I think it was. So there was a lot of people who were quite good at presenting uh, and, it, and yeah, it was, it was great fun. Wasn't that, now correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't that the one where Christopher England had set up a whole load of rules about this is what you do in case someone knocks on the front door and then he managed to forget all his own rules and he was the one that got nicked. Is that correct or have I misremembered that? They certainly got a visit from the authorities when he was on the air um, and I know Danny was in the studio at the same time or sitting in the little anteroom we had next to the studio. That was when they were behind the YMCA at Forest Road in Walthamstow, if anybody knows that. Opposite the town hall. Uh, opposite the town hall, very good. Uh, and I, I, funny enough, I used to live just up the road as well. But um, yeah, and he was he was in the studio at the time and I know there was a level of panic. They took names and addresses, I think, and inspected the equipment, but they weren't allowed to take the equipment away. I think they insisted they weren't allowed to take the equipment. It was during that period where the uh, authorities would turn up and get quite upset because they turned out they were relatively toothless when it came to uh, actually visiting stations. They had to get a court order to take the equipment away. Um, but yes, you're right. That That is what happened. Luckily, I wasn't there that day. It's funny how... Uh nobody really, certainly in our circles, really understood the way the law worked. I do remember that uh, around that time, uh, Phoenix lost a whole load of equipment. And uh, it was, if I remember rightly, uh, Martin, there was some sort of court case and I was waiting outside to see the court case and some guy from the DTI was explaining to a policeman how all the equipment fitted together. And... Um, had I been a bit older and a bit more sensible, I would have told the court because the policeman was asked, 
has anyone shown you how this equipment worked? And and this person perjured themselves and said, no, 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 this is how I found it. Um, and uh, they 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 took all this equipment away. And, and we just got, we sent them a letter and said, um, if you don't hand this equipment back, we will we will person we will sue you in person. We will take we will take you to court for theft. And all the equipment came back about two days later after them saying you're not getting any of this kit back. I mean, it was a really weird. The law was very undefined at that time, and I'm not sure even the the regulators quite knew what they could and couldn't get away with. But I remember somebody saying, "Well, why don't we just threaten the individual individual officer concerned with theft?" And it'll all come back. And it did. Uh, it was just a very strange time. I, I've heard a number of stories since I've been doing the interviews with people about the relationship with the DTI or the post office, or which, you know, delete where applicable, depends what, what time period you're talking about. But, you know, people saying that, you know, uh, certainly Nick Hatford told me that they used to ring up um, uh, the guy from the DTI or the post office, I think it was then, are you out this weekend? No, we're not going to be out this weekend. Okay, fine. I think there was more of a relationship. I, I think there was a bit of a cat and mouse thing. And I do know that that uh, there was sort of this thing to try and keep ahead of, you know, one step ahead of them all the time with all the links and so on and so forth. You're right. The law was very, very vague. It was a law written up in 1949, which I don't think envisaged anything that had happened subsequently. Uh, and it wasn't until, I think it was 84, was it? They tightened the law up, 84, 85. Um and, and obviously to, to fill you know, or to try and close all these little loopholes, which people like, uh, you know, Jackie specifically, but some of the bigger stations and, and people like Skyline are all, you, you know, used to carry on broadcasting 24 hours a day with relative impunity for, for a short period of time. Um, and all they could do really was, was apparently was test the equipment. Well, there was a tracking station near where we lived in uh, Chigwell, and uh, until they got wise to it, they didn't realise that we'd just drive up there and see if the gates were open. And if the gates were open, we kind of knew they were out and about. And if the gates were shut, they weren't. Uh, and uh, of course, that that was that, that was at the time when they were basically closing all that sort of stuff down. Um, and uh, that's a private block of flats now, as I recall. But there was a lot of a lot of things where I think some of the people involved in in the DTI. Uh, were really quite enthusiastic about getting rid of pirates, and others thought it was a, it was a great game, and uh, it depended on the luck of the draw who you got. I think. I, I think you're right. I think that's absolutely true. Um, the other thing I think, which is quite interesting about this whole thing about why stations were chosen, I think it was a lot to do with location. The two times we broadcast from near the water pumping station at the waterworks roundabout were both times that we had incidents. One guy came along and nicked all our, took, just took all our equipment away. We think he was a radio amateur. The other time was an off-duty policeman found us when we were not far from Forest School, which again is that part of that whole scene. Now, if you remember, the waterworks had been um, targeted by the IRA a number of years before. And I think this was a security cordon, which they wouldn't let anything strange happen within. Yeah, that was a. I, it's almost an urban myth now, isn't it? They blew the doors off the off the, and it was apparently it was the IRA. And I remember hearing that it woke me up when yes. that when that went bang, and it was a good couple of miles away. So it was a big old bang, um, and that was near the Rising Sun pub that you were based. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Sort, sort of, up, yeah. Up across the road from the Rising. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So up, great, almost almost good enough for FM because it's quite high up the ground there. Well, the time that we were on the Woodford New Road and the time that we lost all our equipment because someone came and took it all away was the only time we ever broadcast on FM. And ironically, 
someone actually uh, sent me a recording of that broadcast on FM, which I think only lasted about an hour and a quarter. But there's a little bit of me on concept, concept on FM because it was a very, very high. You were right on a ridge and you were between the Roding Valley and the Lee Valley. So you could sort of cover both areas and you could put an aerial up in a tree, an FM aerial up in a tree and, and get out reasonably well. Um, but yeah, I, I think, as I said, the only two times we ever really had any major brush with the authorities was when we were within a, you know, half a mile of that, that place. And I think that's another reason that they did choose stations because they felt there was, um, it might have been something going on or they were, the people were complaining because we were near somewhere that was sensitive, shall we say. Did you ever broadcast from Chinkford Mount? Was that one of yours? No, no, never did Chinkford Mount. That was, I think that was either Titanic or RIP. Because uh, Danny got, uh, he, he says it on the podcast, I can tell people about it. He got um, arrested by the police and the DTI at uh, Larkswood, which is almost Chinkford Mount. Um, Where the old uh, Lido used to yes, be. Yes, exactly. Exactly. In the, the forest up behind there. So yeah, they, they he got he got busted there. I think doing Titanic uh, on a, a, a classic. They waited for him to do a tape change. <laughs> <laughs> so so going back to uh, shoestring. Yes. How long did that carry on for? Uh, I, I I was with them not very long. I only did about six months, probably at the most. And I was with them in Spitz and Sparks. I left and then rejoined, and I did a Sunday breakfast show for a bit, and I did a couple of late night shows. Um, I think the station itself probably about eighteen months. Um, they moved around a lot because it was a case of trying to find the right studio. So Forest Road was where I was with them at one time. Then they moved to an old night of the Saxon Club in Ho Street by the cinema. They also broadcast from, uh, they called it a carpet shop. I can't remember it being a That's carpet right, shop. That's right, behind it. That's in a, right. In a shed, basically, behind the That's carpet shop. That's where I yeah. used to do the Sunday morning breakfast show <laughs> from. Um, that was at St. James Street in Walthamstow. And the other place was actually at uh, Greg's house. Um, and he, I actually said, oh, look, you can have all this gear, the old Radio Comsat studio. And he put it all into into his spare room. And they broadcast from there for quite a long time as well. Uh, I mean, I, I've spoken to people about I don't know where the transmitters were for the, for shoestring, and I'm pretty sure they were always where the studio was, although he claimed they weren't. <laughs> Couldn't answer that one. I, I genuinely don't know. But so from shoestring, where did you go after that? Well, I, I life took over, really. Um, by the time I finished with shoestring, I think my daughter had been born. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Uh, don't hold me to that, anybody. <laughs> Your daughter will be saying, no, Dad, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, I, I then caught the CB bug for a while, so I was sort of involved with that for a bit because it all seemed like a bit of a laugh. Um, and then, as I said, life took over and I sort of fell out of the radio world for quite a long time. Uh, I did do um, an RSL radio cracker, which... Uh, I think your company was involved with supplying the transmitters for that. And I did a radio cracker thing in Woodford one year, which was, uh, I was doing their sort of afternoon show for them. All Saints Church? All Saints Church, yeah. absolutely, yeah. at Woodford Green. Did that, they were, they were in the hall behind there. It was quite a good setup. It, it was, uh, I mean, the, the mixer was a live uh, music mixer. Like, uh, I, I think I'm right in saying, correct me if I'm wrong, that is the last time we met before we met today. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So that's... 
what that was be that's about the time that classic fm was about to launch because we used the old classic fm frequencies around 100 megahertz um, yeah i think i think we were on 104 yeah and uh, and we had built about 100 transmitters and the idea was to have 100 radio crackers on and i think we have we never quite made it we got to 98 or so because various of the groups didn't work but I, I burned a lot of fuel driving all around the country, setting them up. But we did it for two years in a row. And then once Classic FM came on, we couldn't, it couldn't be continued. Yeah, but, well, uh, I remember you drifting into the studio and you go, hello, hello, Mark, how are you? I, I'm absolutely fine, thank you. Just like the old days, eh? And then you went off, disappeared to where the transmitter was and checked that and then disappeared again. Uh, and as you say, that's the last time we met before today, which must be... That's 1990 or so, I think, wasn't it? So about 1990, I'd have to check, but it's it's definitely kind of 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I and we say. haven't changed a bit, have we? Not at all. Not at all. I still have a full lustrous head of hair, as do you. And uh, no. and uh, of course, I'm still very slim. So life moved on, uh, and you did that uh, the radio cracker, and then you kind of had a break from radio. What drew you back to the? You know, there is no escape. You realise that. So, but what drew you back? Yes, <laughs> you're right. There is no escape. Um, what drew me back? Um, uh, well, uh, my marriage broke down and uh, that, that ended. And I, I'm, I met a, a new, lo lovely new lady uh, via a whole group of people I've met at Glastonbury a couple of years previously. Um, and we got together and decided we were going to get married. And in all this, she said to me, you know, what do you really want to do with your life? I was a London taxi driver by that point. I'd done the knowledge and I was a black cab driver. And I loved that job. Um, really, really enjoyed it. But she said, you know, what do you really want to do with your life? I said, do you know what? It's always been radio. That's what I've always wanted to do. She went, well, do it then. So we were living in Guildford at the time. And uh, she said, have a look at, you know, do you want to do university courses? Have a look. So I, I looked up a few things and I saw a really nice looking course. Um, previously, I'd, I'd done a, English and history degree at Queen Mary in London. Uh, so I already had a, an undergraduate degree. And uh, there was this postgraduate, this, this master's degree at Birmingham City University. And I went out there for the open day and I had a chat with them and I applied. And, the, and uh, weirdly, before I applied, the guy said, don't worry, you'll get in. That's no problem. Um, and, and he was absolutely right. Uh, and I did that. Oh, dear me. Can't remember when I did that. It must be seven five yes because i rang years. you just before you rang me up to say what do you think and yeah yeah uh you should have said go to the university of bedford shouldn't you uh, <laughs> so uh, it must be longer ago than that because i don't think i was teaching i no, don't, I don't I was think teaching you were. Here. so it must have been what 2008 nine something yeah, like that. yeah something like that maybe no maybe a bit later than that actually anyway i can't remember yeah. but but i i did this course i did a two-year part-time master's degree in um audio and radio production by that point the bug was bitten and I was back in it in quite a big way. I invested a huge amount of money I didn't have in new equipment, bought a, a very expensive Allen & Heath mixer, expensive microphones, all the other stuff. And I started to do work for uh, um, uh, a radio station called Beetroot Radio, which is in Northamptonshire. Uh, it's an online station, a very successful online station, get a really good audience. Their figures are fantastic for an online-only station. And I started to do work for them and do their Sunday um, Sunday breakfast show. Then I did a drive-time show for a while for them. And I'm still working with them now, uh, doing a Sunday morning show um, remotely because uh, I don't live in Northamptonshire anymore. <laughs> uh, and I live in Shropshire. I also did some work for Radio Nova, or Nova FM, should I say, uh, in Newport in Shropshire. I did that for a little while. Uh, but it was a time thing, really. Uh, and um, 
yeah, and and, and I've, I'm 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 still an avid listener. Uh, I do still like love local radio. I love listening to BBC local radio. We don't have a lot in the way of local radio in Shropshire, unfortunately. Uh, all the things we used to there used to be Beacon Radio, and there was Telford FM and and the Seven. It was called, which came from Shrewsbury. All those are gone now. Um, they're all part of either Free Radio or or the Global Group. <laughs> <laughs> it's that it's that memorable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, we we still get them. Um, so yeah, so I still I still do regular stuff, and I know I ran my own podcast production company, thirteen eighty six audio. Can you see what I did there? I have your card here. You have my card there, uh, and and I, I really enjoy it. I, I produce podcasts for people. Um, the, the digital thing is really something that I went to university was to learn about digital stuff because it was all analog when I was involved in pirate radio. Uh, but I really enjoy it. I've learned an awful lot. Um, I still do. I'd love to start a station locally. Um, but again, it's about money and time and all the other stuff, uh, because to do it properly, I think you've really got to dedicate a lot of time to it. And the guy who runs the station in Northamptonshire, it's, it's Rushton in Northamptonshire has, it, it dominates his life. He still manages to make a living out of his actual job, but it completely dominates his life. So I think running a, a radio station is not as easy as people think. No, indeed. What do you think more generally about the state of radio today? I think it's one of those things, it's a bit like when you flick through the television, there's a thousand channels to watch, but nothing to actually watch on them. And I think this is one of the problems with radio. There's a lot of stuff out there, and I'm pretty sure there's a station that I would find fantastic. It's finding it <laughs> in this in this day and age. Too much wood for the trees. I'm, I'm pretty much done with uh, Bauer and Global, to be honest. I think they are purely platforms to play adverts, uh, and that's all they exist for. And if they can play the records, you know, the 17 singles that they possess in order to sell those adverts, then that's what they're there for. I, I, I you know, there are a few things I, I quite like, you know, I, I, I'm a very much a personality person. So I used to love listening to Danny Baker. He's, he's not on the radio anymore, unfortunately. I still listen to Chris Moyles. Uh, that's my breakfast show of choice because he's entertaining, he's funny, he's got lots to say. And it's not all about... I used to, when I was on Nova FM in Newport, which is a very small town in Shropshire, very tiny part of Telford, basically, their strap line was the best music mix in Newport. Well, that's not difficult. It's a very small place, but I can't see personally, and this is no reflection on anyone else or however they do it, can't see the point of being a music station when you're a community station. Sure, it's about the community. Anybody can put a Spotify playlist together and have what they want to hear. What I want to hear is about my local area. I listen to Radio Shropshire and things like that. But what about surprise? I mean, you know, I, one of the things about things like Spotify or Apple Music or whatever is that you kind of select what you know and sometimes you you find some other stuff. But surely the beauty of stations like Six Music is that they, they, they've got a curator who finds stuff that you might not otherwise find. Well, you, you say Six Music and it is one of the other stations I listen to. Um and that's that is for the music, you know. Uh, and and I found so many bands through that in in the in the past. And I went on the demonstrations and stuff when they would try to close it down. And I was outside the BBC. Brilliant bit of P BBC PR. It's a clever move. That well, wasn't I, I it? think they doubled their audience, didn't they, during that period? Uh, very, very, very bright. <laughs> and and they've hung on to that audience as well, which which is uh, quite impressive. Um, but I, I really enjoy Six Music. They. Uh, a lot. My one of my big issues is that um, is it possible for a station like that to cover 
such a wide collection of genres. You know, when I when I was younger, it, you know, rock music, pop music, soul music, that was pretty much disco. It. <laughs> well, yeah, but soul music and disco yeah, yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, came yeah. in the same category, ooh, didn't they? Oh, you might offend some people. Well, I probably that, have yeah. offended quite a lot of people, and, and I know the guys from Victor will get very upset about that. But uh, but it, it, I think it was a it was a much smaller musical world. Back well, people days. were much more narrow in their tastes, I think, back then, don't you? I mean, I, I look at my students today and they will they will be listening to, you know, music from the 70s and 80s and current stuff and different genres. And they kind of don't make the distinction in the way that we did tend to go, that's rock, that's punk, that's new wave, that's indie. You know, we were much more categorised perhaps back then than, than, than young people are today. I, I think I you're, think. Uh, I think you're right. One of the things for me is I used to work in the music business. As, as you know, I used to work for Virgin Records for quite a long time. And I, I discovered a, a million bands doing that as well. And that sort of kept my interest up. The strange thing is that now my go-to is 70s prog. That's what I will go to every time. I'll go to Emerson, Lake and Palmer or, you know, Peter which Gabriel, I Genesis. Which I don't recall you being much no. of a fan of back then. That's no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Although all that stuff I was a fan of, uh, I still am. You know, I, I still have a huge vinyl record collection. Um, all that stuff I had back in the day, a lot of stuff that's, that I've lost and then rebought. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, it, it's strange. Those things stick with you. But I, yeah, I'll still listen to, I still think the Sex Pistols album is one of the best albums ever made. You know, I, I think there's an awful, you know, the first Clash album, if you're looking at it in that context, um, I think I played a lot of stuff on the radio back in the day, which I certainly wouldn't listen to now. But I think what I was doing was trying to be different. I was trying to be alternative. I was trying to do something that other people weren't doing. We've talked about this on the podcast and and whatnot. And it, it was about being different. It was about doing something not even John Peel was doing to a certain extent. But it was also about kind of filling in those gaps, wasn't it? That That it was very obvious that even back then, mainstream radio was... <laughs> mainstream oh, and that all those things that people were missing out on because there was no exposure to it and in a way it's kind of the same thing going round and round and round again because that's why Radio Caroline started etc 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 and that's why KISS started and that's why all these different stations have appeared over the years because music moves on and radio is always playing catch up. I don't think people nowadays could imagine a time when you couldn't hear whatever you wanted to hear instantly and that, unless you had a, a, a massive record collection and, and invested a huge amount of money in vinyl, you were really stuck with, I mean, as I said on, a, on another podcast, you know, they said, why did you do it? Radio 1, Radio 2, Radio 3, Radio 4, Capital, LBC, and BBC Radio London. And 210 if you had a big aerial. 210. Reading. I couldn't hear that. <laughs> but but even, even then, you know... I, I remember Essex coming on the air. I remember Chilton coming on the air. You know, before that, there was so little to listen to. Um, and I, I think that's a lot of the reasons why we did what we did. You know, I quite enjoyed listening to RFL because it had a, a lot of rock format. Zodiac was good at that. Phoenix, you know, Zodiac and Phoenix as well played an awful lot of things that never, ever got played on the radio. Um, and I think that's one of the big reasons we did it was was because of the music which is now probably why I'm far more interested in talk radio, weirdly, because there is everything is out there if you want to listen to it and you can just punch it up on your phone and, and there it is straight away. Um, but I don't think there's enough. 
you know, talking, talk radio. I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get in now. I'm going to, now going to get into talk radio and my... Shall my... I just give you a large spade at this point? <laughs> <laughs> talk sport. They'll do a two-hour phone-in on floodlights and they'll shout at you all the way through it and people will ring up and talk about that. They run out of stuff to talk about. They talk about the same six football teams, the same 10 players in those six football teams. That's it. I Five Life fell into that hole a while ago. They're a little bit more interesting now. I, I, I just think there's so much out there. And because of the fear of people switching off, they just go for the popular stuff all the time. And I think it's why LBC love to have the shouty people on because people love to listen to shouty people, even though they say, I don't like the shouty people, but they'll keep listening. And the people who moan about James O'Brien moan about him because they're addicted to listening to him. And I, but that's, that's the, you know, the, the whole shock jock thing is the it's, way of getting it's, listeners. It's kind of, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because social media reflects the shock jock ethos of the 1980s and no, 1990s in particular. Yes. Um, and, uh, and and maybe now we've got to the point where just radio is too cautious. It's too driven by the bottom line and by marketers rather than people who have a passion for the type of programming they're making, maybe. I, I don't disagree with you there. And, and you know, I think people people now look at Chris Evans and, he, and he's, he's quite bland, he's quite mainstream. But I think he's, it's, he's sort of have it beaten out of him really by his experiences at Radio 1 and, and at Virgin. And I, I just think now he thinks, oh, this is the job I do. I think Chris Moyles is still a little bit risque and he, and he certainly says things and I have to do a double take sometimes. Um, he's not everybody's cup of tea. That's absolutely true. Danny Baker, uh, I used to really enjoy listening to him. Um, I, I have met him a couple of times. My brother worked with him a lot uh, and I know that the incident that, that lost him his radio show was absolutely something that he didn't even realise he'd done when he did it. A lot of people go, oh, but he should have done. That's not the way his brain thinks. He, he doesn't think like that. Uh, and he's certainly not a racist. I can tell you that for nothing. Um, but I, I think now uh, there is a fear. There's definitely a fear. I also think that people get their shock jock fix from Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, wherever you see that sort of stuff. And although, you know, they say, oh, it, you know, we, we, we have rules and regulations. I can't understand what their rules and regulations are, to be honest. Um there's, there's, there's also this thing about you seem to be able to say pretty much what you want on television, but on radio, uh, the rules seem to be a lot stricter. Um, you're ex-Ofcom. I you wonder. Whether, I wonder, well, I'm not sure about that because the broadcasting code kind of covers the, both TV and radio. But I do think that there is a kind of a slightly more conservative with a small C attitude in radio than there is in TV. And of course, particularly for the big groups, what they want is bums on seats so they want you know uh what's the blandest thing on the menu because that'll attract the most people and and uh, and you've and you've only got kind of just at the edges like radio x you've still got something which is slightly less bland but but you know slightly is the key word yes, there, i suspect yes. 
And they're also, the other thing that I find fascinating, and I wonder what you think of it, is the way in which everything is tested. So, you know, back when I was doing XFM, which is a long while ago now, it's in the late 90s, um, yes, there were A, B and C lists, but I had free choice of, you know, half a dozen tracks in an hour. And of course, that doesn't happen anymore. Even if you've, if, if you've tested a track by a particular band and you think, well, that other track would be really good because that's relevant to what's going on in the world. No, 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 you can't do that. You're absolutely stuck to liner cards and tracks that have been tested. And the way they're tested seems to not reflect the way that people really listen. You know, playing music down the phone or sending them tracks to listen to and then saying, what do you think of this? Well, that's not how radio is consumed. And I think that perhaps has. But what do I know? You know, I'm not an expert in that field. It just seems a bit too plastic for me. Well, I think one of the things, and, we, and, and you, you've touched upon this in the past, is the deregulation of ILR, which then it becomes commercial radio. It goes from being local radio to commercial radio. Commercial radio has to make money. So you've got to maximise the audience. So you've got to play familiar songs uh, or songs that, as you say, test well with your focus group um, and from artists that test well with the focus group. It's one of the reasons I will defend the BBC to to my death because the one thing about them although there is a certain amount of pressure audience pressure there isn't that commercial pressure and we have things like the asian network and six music and you know five live which not so much five live but certainly six music in the asian network which cover new things things that you wouldn't necessarily hear and you can discover stuff through those stations because the people who listen to it are the people who want that there's plenty of other stations, you know, if you want to listen to rock music. When I was younger, you know, uh, it was Caroline, who were a law unto themselves anyway. RFL on a Sunday, possibly, then went on to things like Alice's Restaurant and things like that. But really, that was it. You had the odd station, you know, you had Nicky Horn on Capital and things like that. Now... I can listen to a rock station from Los Angeles online. I can listen to one from Canada. I can listen to one from Australia. I can listen to a myriad of rock shows on online stations from all over the world. And the same with punk, new wave, soul, northern soul. There is something out there for everybody. You've only got to Google it and it will appear. So as far as mainstream, you know, there's a reason why Global are very successful. There's a reason why Bauer are very successful is because they get a lot of listeners. And whatever anybody thinks about Greatest Hits Radio, um, it is exactly what it says on the tin. You know what you're going to get. And that's what, I, and I speak to people and I can't understand why they, you know, they don't want their local radio station back because most of them only wanted to listen to the music anyway and weren't really worried about what was happening on the traffic island in uh, Jolton Kamadi. Well, it's funny because I remember back in the days of uh, of Alice's Restaurant, we used to do something at about sort of 11 o'clock in the morning when we decided to put our feet up and have a cup of tea, uh, where we'd play an album side. But we'd always play an album side from something that was a bit obscure, I don't know, Horse Lips or Magazine or something like that. Not ma I bet, magazine, you, I, magazine. I bet you played but, albums by the Enid, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> quite possibly. And I remember someone writing in saying, but why can't you play the dark side of the moon. And I remember saying to this person on air, well, hang on, you've got dark side of the moon in your collection. So if you want that, just put it on your record player, you know. Uh, but it was that people like, a lot of people like familiarity. And, and uh, you know, I would make a rubbish commercial radio uh, program controller because I want to be surprised. And a lot of people don't want to be surprised. This is the thing, you know, I, I, speak, I speak to, you know, my, my wife will listen to Radio 2 because she likes Radio 2. She likes the familiarity of Ken Bruce. 
you know, she, she, she likes, uh, who's the new guy in the afternoon there now? Pass. <laughs> <laughs> but he used to be on Ocean Sound and she comes from Hampshire. So, you know, that's what she, I, I, people are screaming at me now. Telling me this, and I can't remember. <laughs> the guy took over from Steve Wright. But she likes that. She likes that. She, you know, and she will listen for particular people. So she likes Graham Norton. So when he moved from Radio 2 to Virgin, she now listens to him. But then we have Virgin on all through the weekend now because she just leaves the radio on. It's quite pleasant. It, you know, it plays sort of on the rocky side of pop, but it's still quite bland, <laughs> to be brutally honest. I think one of the interesting developments which seems to be happening now is the return of some of the, what they call the heritage ILR stations. Victory has come back in Portsmouth and... I mean, I've seen pictures of their setup. It's really good. Uh, and obviously there's been money put in that. BRMB are going to be launching again in Birmingham next year on DAB. And there's also talk of Beacon coming back in Wolverhampton. And this seems to be something that that I think people will probably ease into. The, the trouble is, again, we're back to this thing. It's a lot of money to run a radio station. And if you don't make a success of it financially, it won't last very long. But... I like the thought of that. Whether many people remember BRMP now, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting. But I think if those stations are successful, we may see many others reappearing. So we're coming sort of towards the end of uh, this conversation. And I'd like to ask you a question, which I don't think you asked me, which is that if you if you had your time again, what might you do differently? I what would, would you like to have done that you didn't get the chance to do? Right. I'll tell exactly what I do. And I've said this to a load of people is that I did a, I did a, when I was at college, I did a media studies course uh, when I was very young, uh, 17, 18. And uh, I got a, a weekly dailies thing with LBC. I wish I'd just kept going there and making cups of tea and answering the phone. Because from all the things I've read about people in radio at the time, that's how they got into it. They just turned up and, and swept the floor or, you know, stood there and did three, two ones or, or whatever, you know. Um, that, that's what, that's the thing now that I would do differently. Other than that, probably not a great deal. Would you have liked to have done offshore radio? Yes, absolutely. If I'd known people at the time, I would have tried to get out there. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So we kind of know where you've come from and we know where you are now. And we know what you might have done differently. What do you what do you see ahead of you? Hopefully, um, carrying on with the podcast productions. I think there's, uh, I think the podcast thing will 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 rise and fall like all these mediums do. But the quality will 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 out in the end. And also, um, the interests. You know, a lot of people think it's about the broadest possible audience. It's not. It's about the niches, and it's about people being interested in certain things. We do this pirate radio podcast and it is um, very successful amongst the pirate radio fraternity uh, for the one of a better thing. I also do it because I want there to be an archive of what we all did and how we changed the face of UK radio. And people can say, oh, you know, you were just messing about. No, we didn't. We changed the face of UK radio. There's no doubt about that at all. Um, it's been proved by the fact that so many people from that era ended up working in radio in one way or another. Uh, on a legal um, level. Uh, so yeah, podcast, sorry, I'm, I'm going off again now. Podcasting, uh, I'd like to make a real success of that. I would, my one ambition is to get paid to be on the radio. I've never been paid to be on the radio. So anybody out there who wants to pay me to do a show, even one show, I'd love that. <laughs> it's sort of an ambition, only, only to, just to say that I've done it really. 
Uh, and um, and I, I'd like to run my own radio station again. Would you like to do that on FM or DAB or both? Anything. Do you think you'll get DAB where you live? It's not on the list at the moment. <laughs> uh, you will probably know more about that than I do. I, I, I currently live uh, on the edge of Telford, a, a small town called Wellington. I live in the shadow of the Reekin, ironically, uh, from the room that I work from, I can see the transmitter tower on top of the Reekin, which is a local landmark. And we have all the FM, DAB and TV stations all from that one tower, which is the highest point in, in, in my bit of Shropshire. Covers Telford and Shrewsbury and loads of places and all the, the border areas. Um, so you never put your aerial up at home? No. <laughs> no, no, I can I can literally hear the radio station on my toaster. Um, <laughs> but... Um, as far as being on FM or DAB, uh, it doesn't matter really. Um, I, I'm not, I, I'm not welded to uh, the way it's broadcast. If it if it's out there and there's an audience, and that's that's. It's the old saying about content is king, really, isn't it? Yes, but uh, but yeah. Long story short, if, if there, I, I assume there will be a a DAB transmitter in Shrewsbury or Telford, or for both. Uh, I would be very interested in putting something on the air then. Um, so let's uh, let's just talk about so your favourite moment in all your career in radio. What's your favourite moment? My favourite moment is probably the first time I put Comset on on my own without the help of you or Martin or anyone else, and I tuned up a transmitter and we went right through the broadcast without any problems at all. Uh, because then I felt yes, I'm now running my own radio station. Certainly within radio that that's probably my proudest moment yeah and what about the person that was the most influence on you the person that you feel has has had the most impact well there's two people really and and uh, no blushing but you're one of them <laughs> oh dear <laughs> <laughs> well you sort of dragged me in uh and um suckered you in <laughs> well sort of i mean I, sp- I suppose the fact that you live down the road to me i think you're about 10 houses down from me weren't you uh, and and you're the person I went to for that information, and the other person, the same as you, Martin. Without him, I never would have got on the air with my radio station or any other radio station that I was involved with, really. Uh, so yeah, Martin, technically brilliant, and uh, good broadcaster too, actually. <laughs> I've I've heard quite a lot of his stuff recently, which I've been listening through, and yes, you're absolutely right, he he was, and dedicated. I, I remember times when he, he was we would turn up in the morning and he'd been up all night making sure the transmitter worked for the following broadcast. Uh, his dedication was incredible. I think you're absolutely right. Mark Wakeley, thank you very much. It's been a really interesting uh, 45 minutes or so. And uh, here's to the next one. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, thank, thank you for, for turning the tables on me. You're very welcome. Well, there you are, that's me. Thanks for listening to the Pirates of the Airwaves podcast. If you'd like to be on a future episode or just have a comment on the show, then please get in touch with us via the email address piratepod7080 at gmail.com or leave a comment on the Facebook group. We'll be back in two weeks' time with our Poacher Turn Gamekeeper episode where Laurie Hallett will be telling us about his radio journey from pirate to working for Ofcom. Until then, stay safe and keep a lookout during those tape changes. 
Radio Nova broadcasting on 1404 kilohertz of the medium wave band, 212 meters. Unfortunately, we've had to suspend your regular broadcasting. This is due to the post office requiring to test and inspect our equipment. We'll return you to normal broadcasting just as soon as we can. This is a 1386 audio production.